small public service announcement <laughs> for everybody out there. Brent and I normally record at 1.30s on typically Wednesdays. Why yep. did I pluralize that? I don't know. <laughs> 1.30s. 1.30s. I meant to say Wednesdays at 1.30. But at 1.30s, we usually... But then you got a phone call. Yep. So you couldn't record, so we had to delay. Delay. Here's what happened. You don't even know this. <laughs> Do you know what I left in your office right before you went on that phone call? No, but now I know. I left the left Ember me. mug, coffee mug, with my coffee in here, and I was fearful. All, you know, we had some people visiting the office. They're all drinking their coffee and stuff, and I can't go grab mine because you're on the phone call, and get this. I pulled up the app, just cranked that bad boy up to 145, <laughs> and the temperature didn't drop at all. So, just another one of the many is this, reasons is this why about the Bible podcast, or is this about your coffee cup? I podcast? I just figure at some point someone from Ember is listening, and they'll give you. We'll commission? get sponsored. We oh. haven't gotten like, officially endorsed yet, but uh, but here's another thing. So, Brent, last night, and I think it might be because I'm still kind of getting over being sick. I had a dream where most of our coworkers were getting dinner together. Okay. And uh, Kiera and Gil were in like the re- restaurant, you know, lobby basically. And I went, I was like talking to Gil and I said, in the dream, I said, hey, how are you feeling about the marathon this weekend? And she kind of covered her face and made like a, oh, I'm not feeling great. And she, as she turned, she leaned uh, uh, over to like to her left and a stranger came up and saw Gil, thought she was crying, started hugging Gil. <laughs> Gil starts hugging her back, not knowing who this stranger is. And then when Gil opened her eyes and saw who it was, it was like this huge scene. And you and Lucy were just like cracking up at <laughs> Gil in the restaurant. It's probably not that uh, far-fetched, honestly. Hey, I mean... That that's your assessment. I just <laughs> our, our, the staff was laughing and anyway. but uh, we didn't come here to talk about dreams. Well, no, not your dreams, anyways. My dreams are crushed. The topic today is the Book of Mark, mm-hmm. second book, the Gospels. Um, we finished Matthew last week, and. Uh, yeah, spent a good bit of time kind of recapping big picture themes throughout the Old Testament, how it kind of pans into the new. But Matthew, you know, we spent time talking a little bit about its unique context with a Jewish audience, uh, an author that's purposefully quoting the Old Testament, bringing up fulfillment. Some of the things we talked about were like the explicit Old Testament fulfillment. We talked about the implicit Old Testament repetition where the Bible is basically, you know, Matthew as an author is kind of winking at its, uh, you know, through his writing by saying, hey, remember this? This sounds like Pharaoh and this sounds like Israel in the wilderness or whatever it is. We talked about who Jesus ministers to, people that were um, in the Old Testament would have been considered unclean, social outcasts. He ministered to um, people... Uh, that were a part of Israel, people that weren't part of Israel, and kind of ends with the Great Commission there. We talked a little bit about his teaching, too, about parables, his emphasis on the heart, um, scrutinizing the Pharisees and scribes and rulers of the uh, of, of the temple and stuff like that. But, um, yeah. But this week, we're in Mark. It's a shorter gospel, so we'll also get into Luke as well. Finish yep. 
all of Mark and the first four chapters of Luke. Um, I Obviously, I know I jokingly always ask you, do you like this book or whatever? But do you have a, a gospel that, at least in your most recent read-through, you know, that the Lord used, like, to kind of challenge you? I mean, obviously, you preached through John not too long ago. Yeah, yeah. I probably, I mean, because I think John is so fresh in my mind, I would... I would say John at at this point, but uh, Mark has been. You probably preached through Mark. I'm like, is that your the first first sermon series here? Ten years ago, well, ten ten and a half years ago now. Twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. Yep. Yeah, long time ago. Um, but Mark is like you said; it's the shortest gospel. There's there's a lot of similarity between Matthew and Mark. Also, huh? There's some like. You know, Matthew and John radically different. Yeah. Even you know Matthew and Luke. Yeah. That's, you know, that's some fair. different, but Matthew and Mark are very similar. Yeah, it's I, just sort of um, shorter. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure there's kind of of a debate of did Matthew maybe have a copy of Mark when writing Matthew? Oh or, yeah. Like yeah. I think that was kind of one of the things of as they're compiling stories because yeah. I think there's like extended. This is unfact checked, so we can have some readers fact check me. I thought that there's like extended chapters that are basically in exact same repetition yeah. in Mark and Matthew, yeah. but Luke and John, it's drastically different. Or yeah, yeah. very similar. So some of the things context-wise about Mark for people to that are reading for, through it for the first time, Mark wasn't a disciple, uh, unlike Peter. He wasn't one of the immediate twelve, but was boys with Peter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, later in the book of Acts, we'll read about Mark, you know, his other name, John Mark. Him and Peter were so close that people have actually referred to this book as Peter's gospel Mm -hmm. in many ways because it's so inspired. There's, you know, there's kind of like the unique relationship we see that Jesus has with Peter amongst the disciples in this book. We also see in Mark that unlike Matthew, which was written to a Jewish audience, uh, Mark likely was written to a Gentile audience because there's very minimal Old Testament passages um, in comparison to Matthew, but Mm -hmm. also there's passages where it actually explains Old Testament things that wouldn't make sense for an author to explain if there was a Jewish audience. Yep, they would already know that. Yep. Yeah, like some like different cleaning ceremonies and things like that. Um, Yeah, so... I'm trying to think if there's anything else worth mentioning. But yeah, it's super fast paced. Like it kind of feels like, especially compared to Matthew and Luke, it's it moves really quickly. And some of the themes that I was thinking that we could talk on for a little bit, because we're going to talk about Mark and Luke, um, you know, and because Matthew and Mark are similar, there's only so much we can talk about without being overlapping with other books uh, of the Gospels. One of the themes that... Um, Mark spends on quite a bit, and this is true of all the Gospels, but basically just the deity of Christ, Mm -hmm. basically spending a lot of time focusing on Jesus healing. It feels like it's like, you know, this isn't exactly what it is, but in my mind as I was reading through it, it's like, it it feels as though Mark goes dialogue, healing, dialogue, healing, dialogue, healing. I mean, it just spends a ton of time focusing on Christ's heart for the outcast, the sick, those who are demon oppressed, paralyzed, all those different things. 
And then also the, the miracles, the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000, you know, all, all of those different things. Um, and then also like on a related note, it's mo I mean, not most, but a quarter of the book is spent, uh, talking about the passion narrative or Jesus, mm -hmm. you know, going to the cross. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of interesting to think through of like, you know, in some of the other gospels, that narrative, John's is probably the longest, but like in Matthew, it's not as long proportionately compared to Mark. Right. 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 Some of the things I wanted to talk to you about though with Mark is about discipleship in the book of Mark mm -hmm. because, um, it seems as though there's a couple different kind of unique moments in discipleship. The, the, the main thing that was, even as I was kind of doing some study on this, that's a unique theme, not a unique theme, but like an emphasized theme, but also that even as I was reading, I just, God convicted me of, you know, that same theme was the cost of discipleship. Mm -hmm. There's a strong emphasis, like, you know, basically between chapters eight and chapters 10, there's a strong emphasis of Jesus kind of asking his disciples over and over again, basically, you know, are you in mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. this is going to be really costly. And one of the first examples that we didn't talk about last week, but this, this interaction is in, um, is in Matthew as well is when Jesus asks Peter initially, you know, who do the crowds say that I am? And they say, you know, some say that you're Elijah, some say that you're a prophet. Uh, then he asks Peter pointedly, who do you say that I am? He says, you're Christ, the son of the living God. Mm -hmm. And then basically after that, Jesus gives a prediction. I'm going to die. The son of, the son of man is going to be given up and delivered over to death. This is in Mark 8, 31. He began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And here's what I think is fascinating. Jesus tells him, I'm going to die. Peter responds. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Mm. And Jesus responds. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Mm -hmm. So there's a unique, I mean, the cost of discipleship is the main thing I wanted to talk about, but it's kind of coupled together with this discipleship failure almost. Like the disciples kind of repeatedly miss an opportunity or mm -hmm. like point blank misunderstand. Yeah, yeah. And before we sort of, unpack that a little bit more. Uh, I think a confusing point in Mark's gospel that people could come across is when Jesus does miracles of various kinds, he frequently in Mark tells people, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. And so you can be like, well, I mean, why, why, why is he telling them not to tell anyone? And, and they often don't listen. Well, and that's the thing. Is it like, is it a strategy of, well, the more I say, don't tell anyone the more I know they actually will. I don't think it's that, although that does happen. They seem to like keep going and Go more and more. tell it more and more, um, which it probably said, well, I think that says more about human nature than, than what Jesus was, you know, what his purpose for that was. But I think his purpose was you don't get who I am yet. So oh, interesting. don't, don't tell people that you've found the Messiah or yeah. because right now you think that I'm doing miracles and that's the, what the Messiah is. So it kind of goes back to Peter's 
the whole like rebuking Jesus and he's like, no, you don't get it. And so that's, I think, why all along he's doing these miracles. He's like, don't tell anybody, don't say anything because you yourselves don't understand who I am. You don't know me yet. And that's, you know, that's a fascinating point too because like, I don't know, maybe we're getting pretty technical. This is more granular than we needed to be. But that's fascinating because in the Matthew account, Jesus says to Peter, you know, blessed are you, Simon mm. Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but the Spirit of God. Yep. So that's an interesting point to think through of like, there's a chance that Peter knew Christ as Savior and just was needed to grow in maturity and understanding. Well, who doesn't? Well, that's what yeah. I'm trying to get at. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to harmonize, like take things yeah. from Mark and apply it from Matthew or whatever, yeah. but... That's just, that's a really powerful thing to think through of like, yeah. especially thinking of the Great Commission of yeah. make disciples that are increasing in obedience, you know? Yeah. I think the point with the, the don't tell anyone statements in Mark, though, those are mainly associated with miraculous events. And I think he's trying to say, I don't want you going out and telling everybody this based on, oh, there's a miracle worker that will do miracles, mm-hmm. you know? So until they understand the suffering nature of the Messiah and until they understand, you know, the personal heart transformation that he wants to do, it's like, you, I'm doing these things and that's partly why is to give credibility to his message. Mm-hmm. But it's incomplete if all you see is miracles. Mm-hmm. Oh, we found him. You're like, no, you don't get, you don't get it yet. Huh. Yeah, I I actually don't know if I I've, I've heard that explanation, but that makes more sense than the kind of like schemey, yeah, cheeky, hey, don't tell anybody, knowing that they would it's like juicy gossip. Yeah, it's like, like <laughs> oh, I gotta go <laughs> that tell that now. That doesn't really make that. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, but one of the building off of the kind of the need for Christ followers, even authentic Christ followers, to grow in their understanding. Uh, and tied with the cost of discipleship is actually a passage in Mark that I wanted to talk to you about in Mark chapter 10. It's in verse, starting in verse 35. I'm going to read it through 45 and we can talk about it for a little bit and then we'll get into Luke. It says, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them unto him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles and lord it over them, and their greatest ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you, you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of extended thoughts to share about this, but I do, I do think that this stretch in Mark from chapters eight through 10, I I hope people 
I hope the Lord uses to shape them in the way that it was shaping me because even at our life group last night, you know, we talked about the sermon from second Samuel six and in the same way in the old Testament, improper worship oftentimes kind of is when we approach God with an agenda of like, Mm. this is what I like to do. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. this is, I don't really like that aspect Mm -hmm. of, Mm -hmm. uh, and here, I mean, James and John, uh, it's, I, I don't want to accuse them of it being embarrassing because it's just as embarrassing for me because it exposes my selfishness before the Lord. But they point blank said, like if they're trying to make Jesus submit to their own desires. Yeah. So this is fascinating because, yeah, in a sense, what they're saying is, what can you do for me? Uh-huh. And there's a sinful way to think that way. Mm-hmm. Um. Like that, like a pessimistic to interpret that you mean? No, there's a sinful attitude of what can you do for me? Okay. Jesus, right? I mean, there's, because he clearly rebukes that. But then he says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. So there's a sinful way to kind of be like, to think that Jesus exists to serve us. But there's actually a appropriate way to think mm-hmm. that Jesus exists to serve, exist us, to serve us, you know? And so, you know, in the appropriate way, he's saying, I didn't come to be served. In other words, I don't need you. Mm-hmm. You need me. Mm-hmm. So that's an appropriate <laughs> way to think that, you know, Jesus serves us. And if we're like too proud to be served by Jesus, then we're, we're not, we can't be redeemed. Yeah. But if we think Jesus exists to serve us in our, you know, in our selfish desires, Mm -hmm. then that's a sinful, you know, expression of that. Yeah. So it's fascinating to kind of think there's, there's a wrong way to do that, but there's also a very right way to think that way. A needed way. Yeah. To like, we do need the Lord to serve us in that way, come to save. Yeah. But also, uh, just a piece by piece, uh, uh, kind of observation. So in Mark, oftentimes Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. Mm-hmm. And you could read that as like, he. it's almost like he's downplaying, like not the son of God, I'm the son of man. Mm-hmm. But if readers will remember from Daniel, mm-hmm. the son of man was the messianic figure. That was that mm-hmm. it was, that was the title. Yeah. So Jesus is specifically drawing on a title from Daniel for the Messiah. I'm the son of man. I'm mm-hmm. I'm that person. You know, I'm not just like, oh, I'm just the son of man. I'm just like just an ordinary dude. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like. Yeah. Now, that's a that's a deep reflection to think about right and wrong ways to understand Jesus service to us. And I think I think the thing that's been so challenging is kind of what you identified there is that there are right ways and wrong ways that we request to be served by the Lord. And I think I, when I read this, I feel convicted because I haven't explicitly used those words that, you know, uh, James and John did, but I certainly have internally had those desires. Sure. Like, you know, sure. Man, God, what can you do for me? Yeah. Like, yeah. And what uh, position might I get into? Yeah. yeah. Associated and, and, and not, with you. Yeah, not to mention the status thing. Yeah. Like, you know, so 
one of the things I was going to share is, and I've shared this with probably five people in the past day. I shared this last night at Life Group, shared this with Kiara, shared this with person at breakfast this morning. I'm reading this book, uh, Same Lake, Different Boat by Stephanie Hubach. It's a book about ministering to people with special needs. And so there's a group of um, women in our church that have been kind of thinking through how do we, uh, how do we, minister to people with special needs mm-hmm. and set them up for success on Sunday mornings. And the book has been incredibly insightful, not only for that topic, but the section on discipleship has been the chapter on discipleship has been one of the more challenging reflections that the Lord has used recently in my life, particularly about this cost of discipleship with the cost of our own agendas mm-hmm. before we serve the Lord. And in it, you know, she basically talks about how people oftentimes have a reluctance to serve people with needs mm-hmm. in any capacity because we kind of look at that and think, ah, if I engage in that, then that means I lose a part of my life. Mm. I lose my time. Mm-hmm. I lose my weekends. Mm-hmm. I lose whatever. And it's interesting. She has this kind of this pointed reflection here. Um in uh, in her chapter on discipleship about uh, and she kind of calls out the fact that if that is the case we're reluctant to minister to a certain type of people no matter who it is um, special needs or not it, it reveals we kind of have an agenda of like ooh, there are certain areas I'm not willing to kind of give up in this mm-hmm. cost of discipleship and she mentions this and when we deny ourselves and follow Christ when we obediently cooperate with the spirit to restore and conform to us to his image, we are surprised to find that we become more fully ourselves than we ever dared imagine. Mm. Then we too can declare with the psalmist in Psalm 119 verse 32, I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. Mm. Like I just, I think that's so amazing about the cost of discipleship in one sense, you know, it costs you everything, Mm -hmm. but it is so worth it mm-hmm. and that you actually mm-hmm. experience full life and obedience of yeah. commands and stuff like that. Yeah. So I don't know if you have any other reflections on that or on, on Mark at all, but as I was thinking about cost of discipleship, I just, I've, I have felt overwhelmingly convicted of the amount of times that I have explicitly or implicitly in my prayers to the Lord have effectively said, you know, what can you do for me? Right. Right. Absolutely. Anything else from Mark? That's it. I mean, we covered it all. A, I mean, that, that really was. Perfect. Oh man, we got it. Yeah. What we, we do have to talk about the the short ending. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I actually yeah. didn't. I didn't write anything on it. So most people are gonna true see or false in when there. you preach through Mark. Stopped at verse eight. You stopped at verse what eight? Yep. Stopped at verse eight. Sixteen eight. And then yep. you just moved on. Yep. So walk us through it. Why is that? Uh, so probably the two passages of scripture the two longest passages of scripture that are disputed whether or not they are actually original are the ending of mark 16 verse 9 and following and john 8 8. yeah the the um woman caught in adultery yeah so uh so basic very 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 basic kind of 20 second uh summary is essentially the oldest copies of 
are of the scriptures don't include these. Um, so that's why you see, like you might be reading along and then you say some of the earliest manuscripts don't include this ending. And it, that that's basically a commentary on how we get our Bible. So we don't have the autographs. Mm-hmm. So we rely on copies. Now we have drastically more copies than any other you Julius know, Caesar, whatever, any, yeah, other. any other, you know, recognized historical book or whatever. So it's not a statement at all about uh, the reliability of the scripture. It's just a statement of like, that is how we get the, the Bible that we have. And most of the variations are very minor, like one word, they, 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 they don't have anything to do. And even this actually doesn't really have anything to do with this doesn't change our doctrine at all, whether or not mm-hmm. this is included or not. Um, but most, most, again, like manuscripts, the oldest don't have this. And so it's just kind of a note to, as people are reading that, they're like, what, what is this? Oh, you know, and honestly, what is written mm-hmm. is a little controversial because it talks about picking up snakes and, you know, drinking poison and, that kind of stuff. Which there are not a few denominations oh, yeah. and churches that have yeah. legitimately thought. I mean, if maybe I wouldn't, let's just say there are Wikipedia pages out there full of identifying mm-hmm. people who, the, the consequences of believing mm-hmm. you can charm snakes in Christianity and what yep. happens as a result of that. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, I think though it fits to have the more abrupt ending because that that fits a little bit more with Mark's abruptness mm-hmm. in general, um, and that view is not a uh, that's not even a controversial view no. within Orthodox no, Christianity. No, I mean, almost all. universally, all trustworthy biblical scholars would say this probably was not, not original. It was added on afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That's helpful. Yeah, dude, I totally forgot that. I'm sure we would have gotten a BBQ off of that. Oh yeah. Uh, as for Luke, do you I mean, think they have BBQ while they're doing BBQ? I don't BBQ? know. That's, That's a, a really good question. It seems like it would be. Funny. And you know what's interesting? There really is not a great barbecue place in Columbus that I know of. That's a bold statement. I don't know. I mean, it, I've it, heard like it here, might be true. like my kind of budget, and even this is a little pricey. It used to be Sweet Carrot down in Grandview. Do you ever have that place? Yeah, I would not consider that barbecue. People that are barbecue people would yeah, not I'm just, say hey, that's barbecue. I'm just saying that no. was that was a place nah. that has barbecue flavor. No, actually, Kier and I had barbecue last night at home, and it like I told her, I can't believe I don't have this more often. I love this. Yeah, but I don't know where to go. Like, does City Barbecue have? Uh, do they have like a line like Chipotle that you could do, or do you have to kind of? No, you can go get the like a sandwich like there, a lunch or something that? like that. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not like just carrying. No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah, you can go eat there. I don't. I'm sure there's people that would take issue with what you just said about well, no, I, no good barbecue in Columbus. I, but maybe, I say, hey, maybe not. There was a caveat to that I know of. Yeah. I'm happy to receive any feedback that people have, or we're happy to receive any the barbecue, barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> that people have. That's so good. Yeah, that would be an interesting. Uh, this is quite the rabbit trail, but well, it's I just don't it, know. it all started with there's a family that listens to the podcast, mm-hmm. and they have BBQ big Bible question. And remind me, you 
hate baked beans? Or you I do love hate, baked beans? I know I hate baked beans. No, I'm I'm totally out on baked beans, but I like barbecue. Okay. So you're the reason why we don't get baked beans at the church picnic every 100%. year? 100%. Book of Luke is, obviously we're going to spend more time talking about it. I mean, some things to kind of think through is that it is, again, written by somebody that's not an apostle, someone that's not a disciple, one of the original 12. Same but, author as Acts. Yep. So it's a two-part book. Doctor. The Doctor Luke. Yep. The beloved physician. There you go. So Luke is closely associated with the Apostle Paul in mm-hmm. the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, in the beginning of Luke, it's fascinating. In the first four verses, it says, uh, in starting in verse three, Luke says, it seemed good to me also that having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Mm-hmm. So it seems that That's Luke, another name that I've, tried to get one of my kids Theophilus to be named. oh yeah dude that is phenomenal <laughs> loved by God we gotta get Theo. Nick Munis the- Theophilus Munis <laughs> oh dude that's so sweet we don't know if it's a boy yeah that's true um but Luke is writing to Theophilus a two-part book one on the you know basically in a an accumulated history of Jesus and then the second being story of the church story of the church after the resurrection yeah and so he's very much a historian. Yep, absolutely. And he's kind of going through eyewitnesses. And, and that's one of the reasons why the church was so quickly adapting this into canon, you know, of like into the original scriptures is thinking through, this is somebody who probably interviewed the disciples, mm-hmm. Paul, other people that were healed by Jesus and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, you know, because of its kind of historical bend, unlike Matthew and unlike Mark and unlike John, Luke has a lot uh, has the only context about Jesus upbringing mm-hmm. really about, you know, him. I mean, growing and in Math- wisdom and Matthew, stature. there's a little bit there where he's like kind of going to the temple, I think. Yeah. But in Luke, I mean, we get him in the womb with John the Baptist, his cousin, where we're kind of going back and forth between, um, yeah. Elizabeth, the mo- mother of John the Baptist is visiting Mary, the mm-hmm. mother of Jesus. And they're, Baby boys are born around the same time, but they kind of have a prophecy about John the Baptist's birth, a prophecy about the prof- the, the, the uh, Jesus' birth, and there's a. Re- I mean, I, unfortunately, some of the familiarity is so acquainted with Christmas that it might mm-hmm. be quick to read through. Like, oh yeah, I know, I've read this before. Or if you watch the Peanuts Christmas special, mm. I'm pretty sure like most of Luke two is read. Oh yeah, in the Peanuts Christmas special, um, but uh. Yeah. And then you have, you know, Mary's Magnificat mm-hmm. in chapter one, which is very similar to, uh, you know, portions of the Old Testament sounding mm-hmm. like God exalts, God will, you know, even in Samuel, Hannah's prayer, you know, yeah. that God will bring down the proud and exalt the humble and uh, a lot of similarities there. Uh, yeah, you have the, the birth narrative and yeah, I mean, we're really going to get the bulk of this mm-hmm. next week. I do. The one thing I'd like to highlight though, before we go is I say before we go as if like we're parting ways, but really yeah. I just, my office is right next to yours. In, before we turn the computer off. Uh, <laughs> Luke in Luke four, uh, Jesus is going to one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and starting in 
verse 17. Oh, I wanted to mention this too. In Luke 2, it mentions Mary and Joseph go to the temple to kind of do the Jewish ritual of sacrificing to for their son, mm-hmm. uh, which was an Old Testament practice. I just The one thing that's fascinating about it, it mentions they sacrificed turtle doves. So they're poor. So they were poor. So yeah. if you look back in Leviticus, it says you're supposed to sacrifice a lamb for mm-hmm. your child, but if you can't afford it, afford turtle doves. So mm-hmm. it just interesting note, Jesus mm-hmm. born in poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, you know, in the synagogue, Jesus, it says in verse 17 of Luke chapter four, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then eventually, you know, it's, uh, it goes on, Jesus rolls up the scroll, gives it to the attendant and says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop. It is a mic drop moment. But, you know, we talk about the, the Old Testament and the New Testament being so connected. But here is a self-conscious reflection. And we're going to see it next week in Luke even more specifically. Jesus is reading through the Old Testament and saying, this is me. This is all about me. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it, it's, it's powerful. Yeah. And that. Um, that particular prophecy is uh, is typical for Luke. That Luke's gospel focuses a lot upon Jesus' ministry to the oppressed, mm. Jesus' ministry to the poor. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, yeah, and, and we'll see it as we go. I mean, you have like the Good Samaritan account oh, there. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you have the um, isn't la- the, um, uh prodigal sons in Luke 15 yeah, but he ends but, up going uh, poverty Lazarus um, the help me out here uh, charades time's ticking um, he's at the door it's the it's you know it's kind of debatable is this a parable or is, did this really happen oh yeah 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 uh, Lazarus drip the cool of the tongue yeah it's basically like poor man some, yes yes and they're you know and he, the other guys lived in luxury yeah that's right uh, so there's kind of a theme throughout Luke of yeah. Jesus's heart for the the poor and the oppressed. Huh. All right. Well, there you go. Yeah. And then, I mean, obviously we're not going to talk about this until after we finish John, but Acts picks up the second half, you know, of what does the church do with that news, this message? Um, yeah. It's an encouraging book and it's long. So chapter one's got 80 verses. Yeah, it's not only l- longer, but the chapters are mm-hmm. long. Mm-hmm. Um, but very rich, good stuff. Yep. All right, man, we're a little over. I'll. Uh, it's your turn. I'll pray for us, man. Father, thanks for your word. We thank you that Jesus, uh, your son, is what the Old Testament points to. And we pray, Father, that as we read the New Testament, you would, by your spirit, Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. You would convict us, uh, even passages about our agenda and the cost of following you. And we pray, Father, that as we behold you more and more, we would see it as infinitely valuable and worth every cost and every sacrifice to follow you. And uh, ask that you would give uh, everyone listening to this uh, encouraging and refreshing time in your word, that you would uh, change our lives to be more like your son, Jesus, for your glory. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.